Welcome to Music for Life, enhancing the Armstrong concert experience. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we will explore the beloved French composer Camille Saint-Saëns and his virtuosic first violin sonata, a piece being presented on an upcoming concert here at Armstrong Auditorium when we have violin sensation Ray Chen and pianist Julio Elisalde grace our stage on Tuesday, November 28th. The final movement of this sonata was considered so difficult to perform by both violinist and pianist that the composer himself jokingly referred to it as the Hippogriff Sonata because only a fictional half-eagle, half-horse creature known as the Hippogriff could perform the indeed challenging sonata. So stick around as we explore this sonata for a Hippogriff today on Music for Life. This season on Music for Life, we are doing all we can to enhance the experience of any potential concertgoer to Armstrong Auditorium by exploring specifically the composers and repertoire to be performed on the upcoming concerts this season. This makes for such a more enriching experience when you sit down the night of a concert. I believe also, even if you can't make any of these events... Our discussions help take some of the intimidating mystique out of music. It's important that the ability to appreciate or enjoy this kind of music not seem distant. And I think Armstrong's next performer, as well as the composer we will discuss today, help drive that point home. On Tuesday, November 28th, we feature violinist Ray Chen and pianist Julio Elisalde. Ray Chen is not only a supremely talented violinist, but also a charismatic and youthful presence on social media, making classical music, or as I often like to call it, fine art music, accessible to everyone, regardless of age. And he's not using any gimmicks to do so. He's not dumbing it down or contaminating it in any way. He simply is using the latest technological media to promote such music and watching him play his youthful passion for the music he plays is quite infectious. Ray Chen's program at Armstrong Auditorium features a wide variety of music from all over Europe, which is why I've titled this program Journey Across Europe. It features repertoire from Spain, Belgium, Germany, Hungary, and France. More specifically, he will play Beethoven's first violin sonata, a solo sonata by the Belgian composer Eugène Izai, the popular Spanish suite by Manuel de Falla, the ever-popular Hungarian folk arrangement by Vittoria Monti called Chardash, and he will end the first half with the dramatic and exciting first violin sonata by the French composer Camille Saint-Saëns. Before we dive into exploring this phenomenal violin-piano duo, let's talk about this great French composer. He's not necessarily a household name as some composers, as some households might be scared off by how to pronounce his last name, a hyphenation between a word that looks like the English word saint and another word that contains a strange ordering of letters as English speakers would see it. And since one of those letters has two dots over it, we might try to keep this composer at arm's length. That last syllable is spelled S-A-E-umlaut. N-S, and then add the ever-intimidating French nasal vowels that the N's in any name would require, and we have a tricky composer name to pronounce. But have no fear, hopefully hearing me say it over and over will demystify the name a little bit, and he can join the ranks of any other foreign composer names that we've come to put in our vocabulary despite their spelling. 
Beethoven and Chopin, to name just a couple. We're, of course, speaking of Camille Sassons. It's worth spending some time talking about this composer because he really was a remarkable individual all around, not just a fine composer. He is considered one of the greatest child prodigies in music history, perhaps second only to Mozart. He made significant contributions to the French presence in classical music, not only the pieces he composed, but in the composers and educators he trained. He was a well-traveled author and might also be considered a respectable mathematician and scientist. As a musician, he was highly respected by his peers. One German composer said he was the greatest musical mind of his day. Another composer, Hector Berlioz, said Sassons was one of the greatest musicians of our time. He was good friends with the famous pianist, composer, and teacher Franz Liszt, who called Sassons the greatest organist in the world. And when Liszt was asked at one point in his life to come to Paris, Liszt replied, you have Sassons. A lot of composers make their mark on music history by how revolutionary they are, how much they push the bounds of convention. Sassons made his mark by trying to preserve the style of his time period. Born in 1835, he was alive in the height of what we call the Romantic Era, and he fought against the trends that started to veer away from these Romantic traditions later. He was an outspoken critic of the Impressionist composer Claude Debussy, calling his works senseless. (laughs) He declared Igor Stravinsky insane for The Rite of Spring, which we've discussed on a previous program. He also opposed the trend of atonal music, what Lehman would call discordant, coming out of Vienna in the early 20th century. Despite his clinging to tradition, he was still a composer of many firsts. He was the first major composer to write a film score. He was the earliest-born major composer to make a recording of his own work. He was the first major French composer to write symphonic poems and piano concerti. His second piano concerto is his most famous, a masterpiece crafted in a mere 17 days. A symphonic poem, or tone poem, is an orchestral work that follows the structure of, and tries to depict musically, a literary work, usually a grand poem. His most famous symphonic poem was Danse Macabre, published in 1878 and based on a poem about the Grim Reaper starting a skeleton dance in a graveyard by playing his violin. We played a little of this on our episode titled Moving Music, or episode 24, where we talked about the bevy of fine art music inspired by the art of dance or meant to depict certain kinds of dances, literal or fictional. Here's a little of Danse Macabre, one of Camille Saint-Saëns' most famous works.
<laughs> so that was a little of one of Saint-Saëns' more famous works, the symphonic poem called Danse Macabre, performed by the National Philharmonic Orchestra with Leopold Stokowski conducting. Again, Saint-Saëns was the first major French composer to write compositions like this, the genre known as symphonic poems or tone poems. It garnered him the respect and adoration of his peers, one of whom was Charles Gounod, who said he draws and paints his tone pictures with the hand of a master. His most famous work, though, probably, is a movement from a comedic little suite he wrote called Carnival of the Animals. The movement is The Swan, which we've played on a couple of occasions on this program before. We talked about the entire Carnival of the Animals suite in an episode of the same name. That's episode 55. And if you want to look up any of these episodes, you can find them at kpcg.fm in the archives there or on SoundCloud or iTunes. As we discussed, Saint-Saëns wrote this humorous 14-movement suite, Carnival of the Animals, after a misfortunate concert tour. He wrote the work purely for fun and was adamant that it not be published in his lifetime. He later changed his mind about publishing this movement only, The Swan, but did leave instructions in his will that the entire suite could be published after he died. The irony is he didn't want the work to ruin his reputation as a composer, and this ended up being his most well-known work. So we'll listen to the rest of The Swan here.
That was The Swan from Camille Sassons' Carnival of the Animal Suite. We heard a recording there by cellist Sarah Santambrosio from her solo album Dreaming. That is easily Sassons' most famous composition. Another masterful and successful work, though, by this beloved French composer was his opera Samson and Delilah. Its success was largely due to the promotion that Franz Liszt gave it because biblical operas were not especially popular in France at this time. The most famous aria from this work is Mon Coeur S'ouvre à ta voix, or My Heart Opens Itself to Your Voice, sung by the female title character. Here's a recording by Maria Callas.
You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring the composer Camille Sassons and, as we will get to momentarily, his first violin sonata in D minor, considered so difficult in places, only a mythical, fictional creature, like a half-horse, half-eagle, would be able to play it, which is why I've titled this episode Sonata for a Hippogriff which is what Saint-Saëns dubbed this particular work. We are in the midst of our biographical sketch about Saint-Saëns, and we just heard the most famous aria from his greatest opera, Samson and Delilah. That was the aria, Mon cœur s'ouvre à ta voix, or My heart opens itself to your voice. We heard a 1961 recording by the legendary Maria Callas. We have been talking about Saint-Saëns' greatest hits to this point. We've also mentioned earlier what a great organist he was, the greatest in the world, as colleague and friend Franz Liszt would say about him. And history remembers one of his greatest accomplishments as being his Symphony No. 3, fully titled Symphony No. 3 with Organ. premiered in 1886 at the height of Saint-Saëns' career. The composer himself said of this work, I gave everything to it I was able to give. What I have here accomplished, I will never achieve again. Parts of the symphony were used prominently in the 1995 Oscar-nominated and Golden Globe-winning motion picture, Babe. Camille Saint-Saëns was a remarkably skilled and diverse individual. For a serious composer and traveling musician, his knowledge in areas of science, math, and history are also impressive. He authored a philosophical work about science and art replacing religion. He wrote a volume of poetry, a farcical play, and multiple articles on acoustics and ancient instruments. 
He also became a member of the Astronomical Society of France and wrote an article on mirages for them in 1905. A well-traveled author, he wrote of his travels under a pen name, Sanwa. His travels, of course, inspired his musical compositions. His fifth piano concerto is known as the Egyptian Concerto. His 1887 violin composition, Avanese, is based on the Cuban habanera rhythm. He left an indelible mark on music history, not just through his compositions, but through his teaching. His most famous student was Gabriel Fauré, the composer and teacher who would end up teaching two of France's most influential musicians, Maurice Ravel and Nadia Boulanger. Let's get into our exploration now of this sonata he wrote for violin and piano, Sonata No. 1 in D minor, Opus 75. This is the phenomenal work to close the first half of our November 28th performance at Armstrong Auditorium, featuring violinist Ray Chen and pianist Julio Elizalde. First, an overview of the work. Sassons wrote this sonata in 1885 for violinist Martin Marsic, and if you recall, a sonata for violin and piano settled into a format in the late 18th century where it was expected to have three movements, a fast movement, a slow movement, and a fast movement. In the 19th century, the Romantic era, since bigger was better, sonatas became longer. Sometimes the number of movements increased. It wasn't uncommon for a sonata to have four movements, in fact. Fast movement, slow movement, a sprightly triple-meter scherzo movement, and then a dramatic finale movement. This was the case for this violin sonata by Saint-Saëns. Another important thing to note is that the Romantic-era composers would commonly blend movements together so you wouldn't necessarily hear a break after one movement or where one movement ended and another began. As an audience member would interpret it, you would see four movements on the program, but you might not hear clear enough breaks in between each movement, those breaks where it's so tempting to applaud. In the case of Saint-Saëns' first violin sonata, the four movements come across really sounding like two large movements, since the first and second movements flow one right into the next, and the last two movements do the same. So the only break in the action is between the second and third movements. So, starting with the first movement, this one gives us what we would expect from most sonata first movements, and that is two contrasting melodies. The first one sounds mysterious and brooding. The second one sounds lyrical and soaring, like this. The first theme, or the A theme, sounds like this, which I'll play on the piano here. What's interesting about this theme is it's a four-note theme. If I play each note with the same duration, your ear probably picks up on the recurring pattern of four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. But if those note values have been grouped by threes in the rhythm of the work, it throws off our expectation of where the beat should go or how the melody should line up with the rhythm. The rhythm is one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Or more properly in six beat per bar time, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. 
So putting those recurring four notes over the grouping of the three notes per beat subdivision, we get, in effect, a mysterious and uncertain feeling. Add to that the fact that Saint-Saëns takes the six beat per bar pattern and throws it for a loop by throwing in a nine beat bar. The point is, you never quite know how the piece is settling in, I think, until you hear him repeat a three-note pattern over a three-part subdivided beat. This lining up of melody and rhythm leads us into a stability that launches the piece into a torrid assortment of quick passages in both the violin and piano. You'll hear that in the opening of this piece. So let's hear the entire first movement now. Remember that this first movement flows right into the second movement. There's no place to accidentally applaud. And instead of letting the recording continue on, I'll fade it out right as the second movement starts so I can give you all the juicy details about that movement. We're listening to a recording with violinist Dong Su Kang and pianist Pascal Devayon.
So that was the first movement of Camille Saint-Saëns' Violin Sonata No. 1 in D minor, which doesn't have a clear ending before it flows right into the second movement, so I faded it out just as the second movement started. So we can talk about all the goodies to listen for in this movement. We are hearing a recording of violinist Dong Su Kang and pianist Pascal Devillon. The second movement contrasts two ideas as well in what we call ternary form, an A theme or section, then a B section, and then a return to the A theme. It starts as the violin sustains a B flat, as you've just heard there, with the piano playing this ascending arpeggiation. And as with most all fine art music, the composer makes the most of this simple idea. He basically inverts it or plays it upside down. Saint-Saëns explores probably every conceivable way to present this motive and then moves into another section. This section is marked by this melody in the violin. This melody is accompanied in the piano by two chords on the offbeat. And so here's a little of that section in the recording so you know when it arrives. Pretty soon we hear the violin trilling on a B-flat, the same note that opened the movement. And we hear the piano enter with the tender and recognizable A theme again. Finally, as the work is nearing an end, we hear a faint recollection of the B theme in the violin all by itself, and then in the piano. And that will indicate that this second movement is almost over. So here is the second movement out of four total in Camille Saint-Saëns' Violin Sonata No. 1, Opus 75. Thank you. 
What a gorgeous slow movement, the second movement out of four total in Camille Saint-Saëns' Violin Sonata No. 1, Opus 75. We are hearing a recording by violinist Dong Soo Kang and pianist Pascal Devayon. This is the first time the music breaks, as in makes us want to clap. Saint-Saëns, though he writes four movements, blends the first two movements together without any break so that this moment we just heard is the first time the music clearly stops. The same can be said for the last two movements, so when I play the third movement next, I'll have to fade it out just as the fourth movement flows right out of it. Okay, so usually sonatas for violin and piano were three movements, a fast movement, a slow movement, and a fast movement. But thanks to the revolutionary Beethoven, a movement could be added before or after the slow movement that was called a scherzo movement, a fast three-beat-per-bar movement that was usually light and sprightly. And that's what Saint-Saëns includes as the third movement to this four-movement work. This movement basically is in two parts. A lively A theme is presented and followed by a lyrical B theme. Here's the A theme. We hear this theme shared between both instruments and fragments of this melodic motive heard over and over. Saint-Saëns even uses this rhythmic idea, ti tiri tiri ti tiri tiri ti tiri tiri ti while the violin plays the soaring B theme over top. Listen to a section of this.
So here is the third movement of Camille Saint-Saëns' Violin Sonata No. 1, Opus 75, and I will fade it out just as the ridiculously rapid fourth movement begins.
You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring composer Camille Saint-Saëns and his first violin sonata in D minor, the dramatic piece to end the first half of a concert coming to Armstrong Auditorium on Tuesday, November 28th. That night, we feature violinist Ray Chen and pianist Julio Elizalde. The recording we've been using for today has been that of violinist Dong Su Kang and pianist Pascal Devayon. We just heard the third movement of this four-movement work, and you notice that I faded it out as the fourth movement began. That's because Saint-Saëns doesn't give us clean breaks between the third and fourth movement, and I wanted to fade it out there to give you some of the interesting aspects of the fourth and final movement coming up next. This is the movement we've been building toward all episode. This is the movement for which this sonata got its nickname, and this episode got its title. A sonata for a hippogriff is what Saint-Saëns jokingly called this piece because this final movement was so difficult, he imagined only a mythical hippogriff, a half-eagle, half-horse creature, could play something like this. It's extremely difficult to perform for both violinist and pianist. The tempo is marked allegro molto, or very lively. The main idea is characterized by rapid perpetual motion passages. This main idea is then contrasted by a slower B theme. Later, Saint-Saëns will take that B theme and diminish it rhythmically. In other words, play it twice as fast. There is also another grand melodic idea developed throughout this work to listen for. It goes like this. So listen for those three things. The rapid-fire perpetual motion that establishes the main theme of the movement, and then these two contrasting lyrical melodies explored throughout. Now, finally, before I play this final movement, I want to point you to armstrongauditorium.org, where you can find all the information you need about this upcoming performance here in Edmond, Oklahoma. For those outside the central Oklahoma area, we plan to stream this concert at live.pcog.org. You can also follow information about this event and others by checking out Armstrong Auditorium on social media. It's at Armstrong Odd on Twitter. You can also stay up to date with Music for Life by following us on Twitter or Facebook at Music for Life PCG. Special thanks today to my assistants Alexa Turgeon and Seth Malone for all their research support with today's episode. All right, as promised, and as we've been anticipating this whole time, here is this crazy hard final movement of Saint-Saëns' violin sonata, so hard the composer himself thought it might only be executable by a fictional creature. <laughs> now you will know why he jokingly nicknamed it a sonata for a hippogriff. And I hope to see you soon at Armstrong. Thank you. 
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.